And uh, I want to tell you, we, you know, this morning's our, our big what if uh, experiment kickoff morning. And this past week, I asked all of our staff and our elders and stewardship team to let us know what their commitments were going to be. And uh, over 55 families together made a 20% increase in what they're going to do with this experiment. And these are already 10% givers. And so that's a huge commitment. It's getting us getting us closer to our goal, so we're excited. Just, I, wanted you to say, I wanted to say that so you know that the leadership of this church is all in with this thing, and we're excited about what, what God's going to do. Now, this morning, uh, as you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16, and we're going to have a, show a lot of verses on the screen, but I want to really focus and camp out on that one verse, because this morning, we're going to discuss one word. This morning is all about Commitment. And as I've thought about this word over the last few weeks, and quite honestly, I've thought about this word over the last several years, it it amazes me how this word has taken on a whole new meaning, even since I was a little boy in the 70s. I was born in the 60s, but I remember the 70s. Um, Years ago, when you bought a house, you pretty much stayed in that neighborhood for most of your life, at least where I grew up. And uh, quite honestly, when, when, um, when my parents moved into our house in 1969, it had the Lord not called my dad into ministry, we'd probably still live in that neighborhood because when you drive through that neighborhood, most of those people that I grew up with still live and their parents still live in those same, same houses, those row houses, one right after the next. When I was growing up, when you cheered for a sports team, you could pretty much count on the fact that the next year you were still cheering for the same guys. And uh, I try my best to, to follow the Braves because I, I am a Braves fan. But every year I have to almost like relearn who plays what position because that team changes so much. Even since the days of Glavin and Smoltz and Chipper Jones. And, I mean, if you went, when I was growing up, in, in older than me, when you went to work for a company, whether you're out of high school or college, chances are you stayed with that one company until you retired. If, you're, if your grandfather drove a Ford... Your dad drove a Ford. And you know what that meant for you? You're driving a Ford. All right, when you pull for NASCAR, you're pulling for a Ford driver, okay? I mean, there, there was a sense of long-term commitment. And then I remember somewhere in the 70s, a lot of that began to change. People began to move out into the suburbs, northerners, much to y'all chagrin, started moving south. Free agency caused athletes to begin to move from team to team, and layoffs caused people to have to switch careers. And as a result, people have become less, more, uh, have become reluctant to make or to keep long-term commitments. And so now we see people switch houses every few years, switch, switch jobs every few years, switch churches every few years. I mean, we're a generation with all kinds of options, we, and we like to keep our options open. We don't want to be tied down. We don't want to make a, a long-term commitment. The problem with, with all of this is you truly can't build a solid spiritual foundation for your life or for your family without making commitments. Having a great marriage takes commitment. Raising great children, having a great job, having great friendships, building a great church, growing in your faith, all of those things take long-term commitment. And not much great happens without making commitments. You go through life without making commitments, what happens? We simply drift without focus. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about commitment. Matter of fact, 
I want you to know that our God is a God of long-term commitments. If you look at the covenants that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the, the covenant they made with Israel, if you look at the covenants that he's made with this world, if you look at the, even the covenants that he's made with us as his children, you see that not only does God make long-term commitments, but he keeps those commitments. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps a covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalms chapter 145 verse 13, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. So not only does God keep his own commitments, but there are pr- tremendous promises, not only to us, but there are, tr- there are tremendous promises for his children when we make and we keep our own commitments, not only to others, but to him. I love this verse. As I grow older, this verse means more and more, more to me, becomes more precious to me throughout the years. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are what? fully committed to him. The Lord is constantly watching. He's constantly evaluating our thoughts. He's looking at our attitudes. He's looking at our actions. He's looking at our, con- our convictions. And he's watching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And you look at God, what an amazing promise. The question is, is your heart fully committed to him? That's the question this morning. Is your heart Not your family, not your kids, not your wife, not your husband. Is your heart fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I want to talk for a moment about the power of a commitment. The Bible says that nothing affects our lives more than the commitments we choose to make. In fact, our commitments have three profound effects on our lives. First of all, my commitments show my values. They show what I really think is important. They show what I love. They show what I value. Listen, there is no such thing as love without commitment. If someone tells you that they love you, but they won't commit to you, they don't truly love you. I may, some, I may say something is important to me, uh, but the way that I spend my time, the way that I spend my money shows what's really important. I may say that my family is important to me, but if I never spend any time with them, then, then they would have to question that commitment. I could say that my health is important to me, but if I don't commit any time or money or anything like that to taking care of myself, that means that what I'm saying is really not that important to what, what I'm saying to you. So my commitments show my values, but they also shape my life. You become what you're committed to. Your life is a, is a total sum of your commitments. If you believe that making money is the most important thing in life, then your life is going to be shaped by that. If, you, if, if, I, if I live and the goal of my life is to be well-liked and be popular, then my life is going to be shaped by that. If my, my life's drive is to simply have a good time, then my life's going to be shaped by that. And as Solomon is writing Proverbs and talking to his own children, he says, guard your heart above all else for what? It determines the course of your life. Solomon says, guard your heart. What is in your heart will shape your decisions, and your decisions will shape your commitments, and your commitments will shape your future. They will form your character. They will tell who you are now and who you are becoming. My commitments also determine my destiny. The destiny of nations is determined by the commitments that people make. The fact that we can meet each Sunday morning and that we can teach the Bible and that we can pray together and we can worship together because years ago there were people that thought that that was important enough to die for that privilege. Our freedom has been bought with a price. 
And I believe the Bible teaches that commitments that you make today will determine how you're going to live in, in eternity. If you develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to spend an eternity with him. And your rewards and responsibilities in heaven are going to be based on how you used and how you invested this one and only life that God gave you here on earth. And that involves commitment. Here's how Jesus said it in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet what? Forfeit, lose his soul. It's a huge question. Every single day of your life, you're exchanging your life for something. We've all been given a certain amount of minutes to live in this lifetime. The average human being will only live 25,550 days. That's the average. That, that, and that, when you think about that, it's really not a lot of time. But every day you're exchanging those minutes, you're exchanging those hours, you're exchanging those days for something. Some people exchange their time for TV. Some people exchange those minutes for hours and hours on the internet. And then there's people that exchange their lives on absolutely nothing. Wise people learn to invest their time. They plan on how they're going to exchange their time. Wise people plan that exchange by making commitments. Again, when you make commitments, you're choosing how you're going to invest your life and how you're going to use your time and your resources. So your commitments, our commitments, they, they, shape our, they show our values, they shape our lives, and they determine our destiny. But I want you to understand this. Every choice you make has a consequence to it. Every choice is significant, significant because in the grand scheme of things, every choice involves your time and your, every choice influences eternity. Your choice to commit to be a follower of Jesus Christ has a consequence to it. Salvation is free, but to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, listen, there's a price tag attached to that. It involves how you're going to invest your time in relation to not only the things of this world, but to also your commitment to the kingdom of God. And every single day, we have to weigh out the benefits and the payoff compared to the price tag on it. And you say, what are the price tags? Well, Jesus is pretty upfront about the price tag of commitment. He doesn't re- beat around the bush. I mean, he's not vague. I mean, here's what he says, Luke 14. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I mean, look, hate's a strong word, isn't it? We teach our kids to not say the word hate. And yet there's times in the Bible where you see God use the word hate. And when he use, sometimes when he uses it, he literally means, I hate it, I despise it, I loathe it. It, it, it makes me ill. And then there's other times when you look at this word hate and it's a different word. Now, this is one of those moments for me where four and a half years of Greek and Hebrew actually come into play. And this past week, I decided to do a little word study on the word hate. What does that actually mean in this context and in the context in other places where God uses it in the Bible? The word hate for, for, that is used here is a Hebrew expression for loving less. And Jesus is pretty clear what, he, what he's saying to his disciples. You have to love me more than anyone else if you're going to be my disciples. Now, I would say that's a pretty bold request, isn't it? That's a fairly strong cost. We, we, and here's the thing. We come in here, we sing about that kind of devotion almost every Sunday. But when you hear it taught and then you try to live it out, I mean, it's tough, isn't it? And some of you might be thinking, what in the world gives him the right to demand that kind of loyalty. Well, he created you. And that right there alone gives him some rights, wouldn't you say? 
I mean, he created you and then he created you with a plan for your life and he loves you so much that he gave his very life on a cross to purchase your freedom from the penalty of sin, which is what? Spiritual death and an eternity of emptiness and despair. Nobody else can make those kind of claims about your life, can they? But Jesus made them. And Jesus says, here I am. I am God. I created you. I planned you for a purpose and I died for you. I gave my very life for you. So because of all that, love me more than everyone else. Love me more than anything else. And see, sometimes we like to look at our lives as, as, as like a pie with many slices. Every slice represents a different focus of how, you know, how we invest our time. We have the career slice, we've got the relationship slice, we've got the parenting slice, we've got the recreation slice, we've got the friendship slice, and, and then we've got maybe sometimes the dreams and aspirations slice, and depending on where you are in your life, you've got, you've, you have the Jesus slice, and sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, sometimes you look and go, it's non-existent. However, according to the Bible, that logic doesn't work in God's economy, because Jesus does not accept being just a slice he wants the whole pie. He wants to be the center of the pie, and then he wants to be, to be a major influence over every other. He wants the whole thing. He demands to be Lord. Now, I realize that what I'm saying, it flies in the face of everything that you're being tugged at, everything that you're being pulled, everything you hear. But if Christianity is really true, and Jesus is really who he says he is, and he truly spoke these words, then he deserves what he asked for. And it isn't to be just some part, or to be some, or to be a portion, but he deserves to be everything. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either all or Nothing. Either, either demands everything I've got or we need to all go home. The phrase casual Christian is a contradiction. It's like saying I'm half dead. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 to seek him first. You say, how do I do that? What exactly does that kind of commitment look like? Well, let's look at the Bible. When I seek him first, when I make him the whole pie, when I'm, he's at the center of my life, I give Christ the very first thoughts of each day. Listen to this in Psalms chapter 5, verse 3. Listen, it says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and I wait expectantly. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a command, but it's a great suggestion. Before you talk to anyone else, before you read the paper, before you turn on the internet, before you go to Facebook to see what everyone else is thinking, before you go to Twitter, before you go to Instagram, whatever it looks, before you turn on the TV, talk first to God. Why? Because it'll help you keep everything else in perspective. It'll help you to realize who needs to be in charge. You're not letting anyone else shape your thoughts for the day. God shaping them. Now think about how the normal person wakes up in the morning. What do we wake up to? An alarm clock. The word alarm means that you are waiting, not to soft music, you're waking up to an alarm, to some annoying noise. That right there alone should cause you to run to God. Help me. And what do we do? We go to the internet or we go to the TV first or whatever we do and we, 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 we catch up on all the latest scoops in the world. We, we get an update on Obamacare and then we, or we hear about all of the violence that took place the day before or we go to the internet we see how bad our retirement fund did, fund did yesterday and then we get in our car and what do we do? We turn on the radio and we either, we try to listen to music but in the morning there's hardly any music. We listen to people talk and we hear about more fatalities in the traffic and more problems and more crimes and then we wonder why we get to work and we feel so stressed out. Think how differently 
our day could go if we were able to handle and how we'd be able to handle all that negativity if if our very first thought of the day was on God. And that shaped our thoughts. See, sometimes we think or we say, I'm too busy to spend time with God. Here's what I found. You can make time for what you prioritize. You do. You will make time for what you prioritize. So let me give you a little, little lesson, a little exercise. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are night owls. Some of you aren't anytime people. You're just always grumpy. So regardless of what you are, I want you to, here, go to bed and wake up with the Lord. Let your last thoughts and your first thoughts of the day be focused on him. If you're a morning person, here's what you do. You go to bed, just put your head on your pillow and thank God for everything that he did during that day. If it's a a cruddy day, try to find the good in it. But the last thought I want to challenge you to think is how much God loves you. And go to sleep resting in that. Lord, even though I see all these things, Lord, what I can count on is the fact you love me. And then you wake up the next day and you jump into God's word, have a plan and spend some quality alone time dedicated to his word and his prayer time and just getting your mind focused on him. If you're a night owl, spend that kind of time with God before you go to bed and then get up in the morning and say a prayer. Talk to him on your way to work or in the shower or whatever else. If you don't know how to do that, you don't even know how to read your Bible, you go to youversion.com and there's some great resources, hundreds of plans of how to get into God's word. Then give him the first day of every week. Acts 20 verse 7 says, on the first day of the week, we, the disciples came together to break bread. In other words, they worship together. Why do Christians worship on Sunday? Two reasons. Well, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. We, we celebrate that. It's called Easter. We celebrate Easter every single Sunday. The second is because it's the first day of the week and we want to give God the very first thought of not just every day, but every week. That's why this is called the Lord's Day. In the, in the Bible, a day was sun up, sun down. That's why in the Bible it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So not, on, not while I'm here, but if the pastor down the road follows me, wants to have a Saturday night service, then people that attend that will actually be coming to church at the start of a new day. So we want to give the Lord, not just the, the very first of every day, but also the very first of every week. And then we want to give him the first fruits of every paycheck. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and vats will be bursting with wine. Now in the Old Testament, first fruits were the tenth of your crop or the, the, the tenth of your herds or the, or the tenth of your income. And I'm sure you've heard the word tithe before where it means ten. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 23 says, eat the tenth of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and the flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for your name. And here's the purpose, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So every time that I get paid, which is twice a month, I sit down and I go online and I pay our bills. But the very first thing, the very first place that my paycheck goes is to God, is to Westridge Church. Because when I do that, here's what I'm doing. I'm making a statement. God, you are first. You're the center of my life. You're the center of, of my increase. Every time you walk into the church, you give the, the, the first fruits to God, it's an act of worship. You're making a huge statement to God that says, Lord, you are the center. You are the first in my life. You're putting things in perspective. I love what Billy Graham says. He says, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his or her life. And then you give the first consideration in every decision. I want to challenge you from here to the end of the year as a family. 
okay? To learn this verse, these two verses that I'm about to read to you, Proverbs 3, chapter five and verse six, or three, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. All right, Solomon says, put God first in every area of your life and he will bless your efforts with wisdom and direction. He will guide your path. So here you are, you, you want godly wisdom in a business decision? Put him first. You want godly wisdom in your finances? Put him first. Allow you, listen, you need to, whatever decision it might be that you're facing in life, here's what you do. You allow him to hold supreme importance. You allow him to be the center of your life. And then you make decisions. Now, you would think with all these promises and all these mentions of God's faithfulness, that total commitment for us would be a no-brainer. But you know what? It's not. Because there's unfortunately a lot of pitfalls, pitfalls along the ways, a lot of potholes in the road. There are things that cause us to stumble. There are things that entrap us. They ambush us. They trip us up. Listen, there are hazards. There are roadblocks. I mean, there are pitfalls that weaken or sometimes even dilute our commitment to Christ. You say, why are you bringing this up? Well, because my heart's desire is to see every single one of you not only run this race strong, but to finish this race well. I want every single one of you in this room to get to the finish line of your life and to stand before God and to have the God of the universe look at you in your eyes and go, great job, well done. Have you ever heard your, uh, someone who you loved or someone you admired look at you and go, I'm proud of you? Oh, it just makes your face light up. Watch, watch your kids sometimes when you look at them and go, I'm proud of you. It's like their face lights up. Imagine standing before the God of the universe and go, and he says, great job, well done, I'm proud of you. I want to tell you something, one of the hardest things of all of these years of what I do, one of the hardest things is to watch people spiritually wash up. Not lose their salvation, but to, but to become spiritually useless and to put themselves on a shelf. You say, how does that happen? Well, sometimes people get distracted. I mean, think of how many times we've allowed things to distract us from our commitment to God. The Bible says, here's what it says in John 10, 10. The, 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 the thief, Satan, he comes like a thief to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. And I love what my friend Daniel Henderson says. He says, Satan doesn't even, does, he doesn't have to destroy us to be defect, effective. All he has to do is to distract us and he will have accomplished the very same thing. The second pitfall is that sometimes we become complacent. And when we get complacent, here's what we do. We start living off the past commitments that we've made instead of making new ones. I run into so many people who tell me, Lance, oh, so many incredible stories of how God worked in their life in the past. And, you know, this moment where they were really close to God, but today they're, just, they're, they're complacent. They're living off the miracles of the past instead of trusting God for new miracles, new victories. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. What you've seen in the past or how long you've been, even been part of Westridge Church. Listen, we have to guard ourselves against the spirit of complacency. Because Satan would love, he would love nothing more for you to become complacent. He can't own you as a follower of Christ, so he's going to try to distract you. Why? So you'll miss out on God's blessings. So you'll walk around feeling defeated like the best is in your past. He would love to rob you. He'd love to rob your marriage. He'd love to rob raising your children. He'd love to rob your friendships of potential victory. Today is, is, what, is, is the What If Experiment Commitment Sunday. It's our kickoff Sunday. And trust me, I want you to know after you make this commitment, Satan is going to work on you from every angle he can think of. He wants to engage you in spiritual battle 
to cause you to not only get distracted and complacent, but he wants you to waver and to doubt that God's faithful and that he's able to keep his promises. And so don't be surprised along the way over the next two years after you've made your commitment if you don't face some kind of attack, something that's going to cause your faith to waver, something that's going to cause you to doubt. Here's what I wanted you to do. Put all of the talk of money out of your head for, for just a moment. I want you to ask yourself this question. How real and how deep right now, scale of one to 10, is my commitment to Jesus Christ? See, the answer to that question is gonna filter down into the every other area of your life. It impacts all the issues of life. Romans 12, one, all right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, I realize there's a large dragon flying around up here, okay? (laughs) All right? You have no authority over me. I want you to know that, all right? This morning, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ to go to the next level. Look at me. Go to the next level in your walk with Jesus. Don't get stuck in complacency. Don't get trapped here. Don't get distracted. If you're a new believer and you've never been baptized before, that's the next step in your, in your walk. If, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while but you're not involved in a journey group or you've never really grown spiritually, get involved in Starting Point, which is for new believers. Get in a journey group as a couple. If you've never, if you've never used your gifts before and yet you're a Christ follower, listen, don't waste your time. Don't waste your spiritual gifts. You need to unwrap those things and put them into play and start serving in the church. If you're not reaching your neighbors, listen, or your friends, listen, it's time for you to start blessing them. Begin praying for them. Listen to them. Eat with them, all right? In the first service, I said, eat them. Don't do that, all right? (laughs) Eat with them. Start to serve them. Start to share your story with them. Some of you are going, okay, I'm not going to say this out loud, but what's in this for me? If I engage myself to go to a new level with Christ, as I'm considering getting involved in a ministry, if I'm even considering making the decision to make a commitment to this experiment, what's in this for me? Well, the payoff, the payoff for commitment is short-term and long-term. The short-term, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the worldly, seek after those things. And your heavenly father knows what you need, that you need of them all. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What is the short-term payoff for a life completely committed to Jesus Christ? It's a life free of anxiety, worry, stress, doubt, and fear. Does that mean I won't deal with those things? No, you're gonna deal with those things. But you know, as long as I'm committed to Christ, that he's got my, he has my back. God says, when you commit your life totally to me, I assume responsibility for every need you have in your life. One of my favorite quotes is from one of my favorite Bible teachers, Charles Stanley, and he said this years, I've held onto this for years throughout so many things in my life. He says, God takes complete responsibility for a life that is totally yielded to him. What an incredible promise. God takes complete responsibility for a life totally yielded to him. You say, what about half committed? What about partially committed? What about uncommitted? That's like me standing in front of my wife, Amy, and bargaining with her to see what I could get out of our relationship if I I only committed myself partially or half to her. I'll tell you what I would get from my wife, Amy, with half commitment. Jack, squat, nothing. 
When we stood in front of each other, I gave her my whole heart. When she stood in front of me, she gave me her whole heart. That's what God wants. He says, I got blessings, I got promises. I will watch your back. I will take care of you. I will, I will carry you at moments you need to be carried. I will, I, will, I will strengthen you when you need to be strengthened. But I want your heart. I want your heart. And I don't want it half. I don't want it partial. I don't want you wavering. I don't want to be a slice. I want to be all. God does not assume responsibility for all of your needs if you are half or partial or uncommitted. God does not owe any of us anything, but by his grace, he promises to take full responsibility for a life who is totally and completely yielded to him. I mean, what a great promise. That's the short-term payoff. Now, the long-term payoff, Matthew 25, there's a parable of a talent. I'll let you read all about that if you want to later, but Jesus says this. He gets down to the end of the story and he says, he says to them, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now Jesus is teaching this parable of the talent. And he says that one day we will give an account for how we invested this one and only life that God has given us. And here's my fear. My fear is that some of you are gonna stand before the Lord one day. And some of you are gonna be kind of disappointed. Some of you are going to receive huge eternal blessings. I mean, again, wouldn't it be amazing for the God of the universe that created you, that loves you, that gave his son for you, to look at you and go, great job. Well done. Another benefit will be promotion. Those of you that have committed to the Lord here on earth, you're going to be given, according to the Bible, the way I read it, you're going to be given great responsibility in heaven. If you can, here's what I want you to, I want you to imagine this for a moment. I, I, I want you to put yourself, if you can, before the Lord. This has nothing to do with your salvation decision. That's another judgment. But this life that you've been given, this one and only life, all of these moments, these minutes, these times, these days, they're all going to be examined. And I want you to think about, think with me for a moment. The Bible says there's going to be an accounting of your whole life as a believer. And everything's going to come down to that one moment. What do you want the God of the universe to say about you what do you want to hear half committed partially committed eh, uncommitted over committed to the wrong things I mean I think it's a fair question what do you want him to say to you Henry Varley the man who inspired the great Chicago evangelist D.L. Moody said the world has yet to see what God will do in and through the person who is totally committed to Jesus Christ Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. I grew up in the King James. They roam to and fro throughout the earth to do what? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, the Lord is looking to accomplish his purposes through his people. He's looking for people that he can strengthen. And what's the only qualification that he asks for? A fully committed heart. All on. Listen, I, I believe with all my heart it's the wisest investment you can make with this one and only life. God's not looking for the smart. He's not looking for the rich. He's not looking for the wise, the strong. If that were the case, I would not be involved. He's looking for the committed. The committed. And I want to challenge you this morning to blow past half-baked, half-committed, partially in, slice of the pie, superficial, superficial, shallow 
and commit your heart fully to Jesus Christ this morning. The short-term, long-term benefits are incredible. It's an investment you'll never regret. Over the last several weeks, we've been in this series called The What If Experiment. We've been talking about the biblical concept of generosity. Generosity is an all-in commitment. We've been talking about what it looks like. We've been talking about how we can practice it. And along with all of these, listen, here's what we challenge you to be generous to this church. We've said, what would it look like if we could make a commitment to be more generous? And what would it look like if we could shock the world with our generosity and put God on display? What would it look like if God's people stepped up and made a commitment to trust God with their finances and become more generous? to be more giving. I mean, not, not only will this help us to keep up with our financial demands, but listen, it would, it would allow us to extend our reach and our impact and our care into this community and this country and this world. Many of you throughout this whole thing, you've been challenged, you've been stretched, you've been pushed out of your comfort zone. Many of you, you've been praying, you as a family, you've been asking God, you know, what, what do you want me to do here? And there's so many stories that we've already heard that have just been amazing to us. And I can't wait to see what God is gonna do. Because listen, this, this goes beyond funding ministry. God, this is God's church. He will fund this. I'm not worried about that. This is about stretching our faith. This is about opening up our lives to experiencing God's blessings in unbelievable ways. To see the God of the universe at hand, at, for, at, at work firsthand. And today, today's the day we've been praying about for months. We've been praying about this day since May. It's the day we make a commitment. Commitment to give over the next 24 years what what we're going to do there and then evidenced by a one-time offering a big give if you're visiting today I don't want you to feel pressured by this okay we're not out to get your money if you want to give jump in this is a family thing that we're doing here for those that call Westridge Church their home now today you should have brought two things with you. You should have brought a commitment card and an envelope with your one-time offering. If you need a commitment card, I'm gonna ask our host team, if you got, y'all folks would get into place here. And if you need one, just raise your hand and they'll come find you and you can fill it out. You can also do all of this online. We've made all of this possible so you can do it online. And we're gonna, over the next few weeks, you can do this, but we'd like to see you do it this morning. And then we're gonna have our big reveal on December the 8th. And in just a moment, I want to ask you, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to come down your aisle. I want you to place your commitment card, your offering in these buckets up here, all right? And then I want you to go back to your seat because we're going to worship together. And let this time of worship, let this time of worship be a moment where we truly believe that God is able to do things so far beyond what we've ever dreamed or what we've ever imagined. God is able. I want you to bow your head for a moment. If you need to come forward and get on your knees, this is, this is about your commitment to Christ and you, the fact you've been wavering, come and get on your knees. We'll have life care ministers up here. So life care ministers, if y'all would come get in your places. But as our band starts playing right now, I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts that as you are looking for hearts that are fully committed to you, Lord, that you would stop here in Dallas, Georgia and see us. And I pray that you would, Lord, 
strengthen this church, strengthen these people, strengthen these marriages, strengthen these families, strengthen, Lord, these relationships. I pray, Father, that you would touch this church, that we would see, Lord, that we would, Lord, thank you and praise you for the blessings of the past, but, Lord, that we together would see amazing things in the future that we'd be able to tell our kids and they'd be able to tell our grandchildren about the things that we experienced together because we decided on this day, on November 17, 2013, that we would be a fully committed church with fully committed hearts bent towards you in a fully committed way. Trusting that you're able to do everything that you promised to do in your word and that your word, even though it was written years ago, is still for this moment.